Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To infiltrate the Oscars with our movie on how to save a mockingbird? Yeah, yeah w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, 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 oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of uh, Double Feature. We got double the Rupert Pumpkins, uh, double the not-so-quiet desperation. Brad, how you doing? Doing good. It's especially with these two movies that we pick because these are two movies that uh, I've kind of seen little clips of and everything like that. Like a serious man, I didn't think I knew that movie at all, but as I watched it, I was like, oh, I've seen parts of this movie. You never know, seen the whole film before this before this uh thing here? Before this one, no. These were oh, wow. two like new ones for me. Hey, that's uh. Well, I'm glad I uh, I'm glad I uh, threw this in your direction. I um, these are two films here that uh, I, I feel like they're posed a, a serious man, the king of comedy, or the films we're talking about today, folks. I feel like they're they're marketed as comedies, but when you watch them, there's something a bit deeper and you know a bit more disturbing underneath the surface of what these films are about. Yeah, uh, especially when it comes to a serious man, that one is a very dark comedy. It is, it is, and I think from a writing standpoint, it's it's the Coens at their best when when you blend dark humor with you know thought provoking themes. Right. Yeah, because uh, the king of comedy, I would say, is more akin to like psychological comedy. It is. It is. It's more on the. It's. It, I mean, it is a dark film, but it doesn't. It's not as dark as a serious man. They, they, yeah. they, it, Scorsese mixes the light with the dark very well in The King of Comedy. So which one do you want to start off with? We can do it chronologically. We can do King of Comedy first. Okay. So we got uh, the Dream Team, uh, Marty and De Niro, uh, King of Comedy, which uh, is their, like, their fifth collaboration. Uh, Paul D. Zimmerman is the writer because um, I forgot who the writer was. But basically, this is um, uh, uh, Jerry Lewis is in this film, and Sandra Bernhardt, who was a, a pretty hot comedian back back in the eighties. Um, so basically, uh, De Niro plays Rupert uh, Pumpkin. Uh, he's a struggling comedian. He has a bit. You could tell something is mentally off with this guy. Um, he lives with his mother, and he wants to be the king of late night. He he worships Jerry Lewis, who is basically like like a Letterman or a Jay Leno. You know, he's um. Mm. He's this, he's this, uh, this funny, witty talk show host that he wants to be like, and he just, um, De Niro's character obsesses over like being in that position, having that job, you know, he has like, like funny, like there's like funny and disturbing sequences where he pitches being at dinner with, um, Jerry Lewis's character and like being this successful comedian and Jerry Lewis is asking him, please, you got a host, you got a guest host this week. And, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I got to I, I, I'll think about it like this is like the losers of grandeur is an understatement when it comes to this character. Yeah. And the best part is like as the scenes are going on, uh, if you don't already know what's happening, you kind of have to try and figure out like what's real and what isn't. And definitely it, it during the first like half of the movie, it, it's pretty hard to tell what is and isn't real. Because some of it you can tell after the fact, but yeah. uh, as it's happening, like the scene with them at dinner, you're kind of just going, oh, okay, is this like a push to the f- future or something? And then you see that he's like mimicking the conversation in his house, and you're like, oh, okay, he's just imagining this conversation. Yeah, and then uh, it keeps kind of pushing in that kind of same tone where you're, any scene that happens, you're kind of going, okay, is this part of reality or is... Are we going to see where the rug's being pulled under on this one? Yeah, I was going to say part of this film, you know, it, it, it plays his hand. Uh, it plays his hand close to his chest, um, because even in the end with the final scene where it says, ladies and gentlemen, Rupert Pumpkin. And that voice kind of keeps repeating that. You're like, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Is he is he really out of prison? And is this really is this really happening or 
is the film kind of giving us a winking at us and joking like, oh, no, this may be another fantasy. Yeah, yeah, because even... Uh, so if we want to go, like, piece by piece with the movie... Uh, we can. I didn't mean to jump to the end, but, you know, I was just trying to, like, make a... Agree to your point, but go ahead. Right. So, basically, it's a huge thing where it just constantly devolves into this darker and darker place for this character, uh, Pupkin. And... It, it starts off with him, first off, just meeting Larry uh, by literally jumping into his car with him. <laughs> right. So that's where it actually starts. And that's one of the few scenes that uh, things kind of go his way that's actually real. Because uh, from there, uh, he's told, you know, give me, call my people and, you know, I'll see about getting you on the show and everything. And for the next like couple of days he constantly just shows up to his office and I'll, I'll wait until he's ready to see me yeah i've already talked to him he, he knows i'm here <laughs> and it's kind of hilarious how it goes through like you know at one point he's standing at a uh phone booth and he has all the other phones off the line going yeah yeah they're just not working and he's waiting for a call at the phone booth for like an hour and a half from larry's office calling him back which does not happen and yeah it's just it's kind of depressing at first and then you start getting into more of the psychosis as he teams up with this one psycho uh lady that is stalking uh larry at the same time and they start teaming up to, you know, kind of get their wants from Larry at the same time with Rupert wanting to be on the show and then her wanting to be with Larry. <laughs> I feel like um, when we're looking at performances, um, like, I think I feel like this is a another just great lead role by De Niro where he 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 convinces you that this guy is mad, you know, like like. One of the things I love about De Niro is how much he, especially in his early career, how he 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 um he dissolves into his characters. You don't see De Niro; you see an actual character. But you see this guy, and you feel sorry for him. He's in love with this woman who's a who's a um who's a waiter that that's kind of a kleptomaniac. She steals a lot, <laughs> which we learn later as the film goes on. Oh yeah, his like, queen. <laughs> right, and it's like. Man, you can't help but feel sorry for this guy. Like you know, he his his delusions are grander. It 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 is his life. You know, he he his life revolves around trying to get close to Larry and trying to be on TV. And um, with that, Sa- Sandra Bernhardt, who I feel like kind of steals the show, um, as the uh, obsessive psycho that wants to be with uh, Jerry Lewis character Larry. Um, she's hilarious. Uh, oh no, yeah, he's Jerry, not Larry. Jerry. His name is Jerry in the film. Jerry, okay. Um, and um, Jerry Lewis plays the great straight man to all of this chaos. You know, usually Jerry Lewis, you think of the original nutty professor, you know, just a wild guy. In this film, he just plays the straight man so well. Yeah, it's he definitely does well. Um, I can't remember what the name of the character that's the psycho woman. Uh, Marsha. Marsha, that's it. And every time she's in a scene, it's just comedy gold. Uh, Even the opening scene where, you know, she jumps in the car to try and get uh, talk to Jerry. Uh, You can see uh, Pumpkin constantly closing the door as, you know, she's trying to get out of the car to see him. Right. And before she's pulled out of the other side and then he hops in the car with uh, Jerry in order to actually talk to him in the opening scene of the movie. And... You know, every scene past that, she's great because she's just stalking outside of the building and everything like that and just kind of waiting to see him. Uh, there's a couple times where she actually, like, chases him down the street in front of his building and everything, too. Right. So, but, yeah, the ending scene with her is extremely creepy. <laughs> when uh, Jerry's tied up in her room. Dude, I was laughing, dude. I wasn't even. I didn't even think it was creepy. I just think her just like. Oh, just I like, found it hilarious too, but it was also had that like creepy undertone to it that you're like, oh, this is yeah. <laughs> this is horrible. But yeah, it 
the, every character kind of definitely has their role in this movie. Uh, everybody kind of has their place and nobody's kind of shown off as being perfect. And all of them are very messed up people. Yeah. Um, when I tell people about this film, like part of my, um, I don't want to listen. I, I like Joker. Okay. And you know, we've had our conversation about this. I like Joker, you know, but when people ask me, people say, Oh, it's one of the most original things I've ever seen. I was like, I mean, I was kind of king of comedy mixed with Taxi Driver. And people would be like, what's king of comedy? And, you know, and some people would say that that are like, you know, Scorsese fans. Like, this movie really is like an underrated film by the two of them. A lot of people don't know about this film or New York, New York, which is like another Scorsese film with De Niro and Liza Minnelli. But, you know, when people see this film, they'd be like, oh, I get it now. Because it's like De Niro's character in Joker. I think he was loosely based off of Jerry, Jerry Lewis character in this film. Oh yeah, and like when you yeah, like even with um, the way they uh, characterized Joker in in the film, like he, you could tell there was a little bit of influence from Rupert Pumpkin and his fascination with Jerry Lewis character, or with Joe Joaquin's Phoenix fascination with you know Robert De Niro's character. Oh yeah, and that's one thing is Joker definitely took a lot of influence from this movie, but it took it in a different direction. Uh, yeah, yeah. where instead of, you know, trying to hope to be famous, it, it just went down a whole more psychotic path. Like Joker plays the role of both the psycho woman and, you know, the comedian at the same time, almost. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, it, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a high influence for Joker. So a lot of people that love the movie Joker need to see the king of comedy, uh, I 100% recommend it in that tone because, you know, I, I like Joker. I thought it was a great indie film and everything like that by far exceeded every expectation I had for it. And to know the source material of where, like, the inspiration for scenes for Joker came from with Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy just kind of makes it even a little bit better in my eyes. Dude, I feel like the best, and um, it doesn't really have to be for us, but I feel like if people want to see, like, you know, um, um, influence uh, throughout the years in cinema uh, through, you know, different films, I would say watching Taxi Driver, King of Comedy, and Joker can show how influence can go a long way in cinema. You know what I mean? Like, you know. And how the you same, like, ideas can be thrown into different perspectives and thrown different ways. Because yeah, even yeah. though it's the same basic plot, the movies are very far apart in tone and everything like that. I would uh, I would agree with that. <clears throat> but yeah, that I can say, King of Comedy is you know every scene kind of flowing back and forth between in his imagination and reality. Uh, his imagination ones being hilarious because they're so one sided. Uh, I still at I think one of my favorite scenes is uh, when they're staying at his house uh, unknowingly, like when Pumpkin thinks that they were invited to stay at uh, Jerry's house. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Jerry just shows up and there's two people in his house that <laughs> he doesn't one of them he doesn't even know. Right. And and this is the kleptomaniac girl that. uh they bring along and she's confused because she thinks that they're supposed to be there uh jerry has no idea what's going on and just wants them out and it just it, i love that scene because it kind of just shows the acting prowess of all three people at the same time as they're all playing different roles in this one scene where mm -hmm. One person's trying to go, no, no, I am here. You invited me here. Uh, one person's going, I never invited you here. And then a third person going, I don't know who to believe in this situation, but I feel like we should leave. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a perfect balance of uh, comedy where, you know, one person doesn't know the other person's hand. Um, yeah, I like that scene. I, I also like the scene where um, uh, I just love the progression of how he... He continues to visit the the um, the studio office and says like, uh, "Hey, I got some tapes here uh, for for uh, Jerry to listen to." Then he comes back like, "How'd you like the tapes?" You know, we 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 listen to the tapes, Mister Pumpkin. Um, 
we encourage you to keep trying at your stand up. At least the lady was nice. Like, oh, yeah. She was nice. But she was like, we encourage you to keep trying at your stand up and we would love to hear future material. And, and, you know, here's a guy that, you know, this doesn't fall in line with his expectations of reality. So, of course, he tries to run around the, the office looking for <laughs> looking for Jerry. And it just it's a scene that that plays comedic. But you're, you're kind of wondering how dark, like how far this guy is going to go in the back of your mind. Like for the first time watching this, I was kind of looking like, OK, is this guy going to snap at some point or is, is, is he going to stay at the same level of uh, delusion? Like what would. Because I was a little scared for Jerry's character, mm-hmm. you know, when I first watched this movie. I'm like, I don't know how far this guy's going to go. And the first time I saw this was before I saw Joker. So I didn't know if it was going to go to the extreme where Joaquin said, you get what you deserve, you know, yeah. you know, blows his head off. Or is it going to go something beneath that? But the film, it, it, it plays with the tension well. It definitely does. And then you, of course, get to the pinnacle scene where he actually kidnaps Jerry and you're just like, okay, so so what happens now? (laughs) Right. And I love that his like, uh, well, free Jerry, if you give me a spot on television is like his, you know, what he wants is like, that's obviously he hasn't thought this through at all. (laughs) Because no, of course. they're going to know exactly where he is and everything. And they're of course, they're going to arrest him right after that in order to make sure that Jerry's safe. And yeah, it's it, it, his ideas and plans are not, you know, planned out at all. It's basically all off the wing. What does, you know, my psychosis think is going to happen? Because he thinks, oh, yeah, if I go on, they won't be able to arrest me because my set will be so good. And you also had to wonder during that set, it seems to be going well, like the audience is laughing, you know, it it seems to be going his way. And you think, well, how much of that is reality and how much isn't? Mm. Yeah, I I agree. You know, looking at this film, you know, it does comment on celebrity culture and, you know, the the dangers of it. Um, I don't want to use the overused phrase. This film was ahead of its time. Um, but in some ways, it did for a film that came out in the '80s. It does kind of predict a lot of the things that that happen today. Where you got like certain artists, like Beyonce has the bees, uh, the beehive. You know, Nicki Minaj has the barbs. Certain like artists have like a devout following that some people in there you could tell are a little mentally off. Well, you know you. At the same time, it was also doing like a late night host. Late night hosts always had that kind of, you know, groupies going after them kind of thing. So I wouldn't say it was ahead of its time. It was doing exactly what it needed, but it was right for its time. But it can also apply to other things now in the current day and age. You know, that kind of mentality hasn't gone away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Idol worship has always been around. It's always been to me a little pathetic yeah i mean yeah yeah there's definitely people that take it way too far and you know will stalk the people uh what was the one site that people would use in order to like post when celebrities were somewhere and they would use it to track them and there was a huge lawsuit is that what it was well, that was to let the groupies know where the where the famous basketball player was. Baller alert! But uh, other than that, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything else outside of that. There was another one that it was like actors and celebrities in that way, and there was a huge lawsuit to get it taken down because it had like huge privacy and safety concerns for the actors. Um, I'm trying to think of which actor actually like sued them personally because he was put in a dangerous situation because they posted where he was when he was like out at dinner or something like that. I don't remember. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. This was back in like 2008, 2009. I remember that much. Okay. It, you know, I, 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 I don't remember the exact celebrity, but I was going to say making a connection to taxi driver um, again, I got, I got, I can't, you know, praise the Nero enough. Scorsese does his thing with this film. Like he, I, with every film he does, he always has a unique approach. And with this film, we, where you didn't know what scene was real and what was fantasy, I feel like that's that's a credit to him for keeping both kind of sequences uh, with the same aesthetic to kind of trick the audience. It's like, is this real or not? 
Mm-hmm. Um, what I was gonna say about De Niro is, you know, like he um, he he knows how to he shows the de- de- uh, desperation well. He shows um, psychoticness well, and, and you see that in Taxi Driver, and you see that in this film. Like he he knows how to show characters with serious issues that's just trying to force their understanding of the world on the world. Right. Yeah, it it definitely brings the character's kind of perspective to the screen in a way that many actors cannot. It's yeah. it's always good to see De Niro in a movie. Uh cuz as you said before, he kind of just sinks right into the role. You don't see De Niro, you see the character he's playing. Right, right. Which is a very rare thing for a lot of actors, because normally, you know, when you see something with, uh, like, Nicolas Cage, as we've mentioned before, you see Nicolas Cage. (laughs) It's hard to not see Nicolas Cage in any role Nicolas Cage is in. (laughs) Uh, One film, one one film, he's he's not him. Right. um, Like I I said, it's hard to tell. (laughs) I got you, I got you. But De Niro, yeah, yeah he I always agree. sinks into these roles, so it's always nice to see him in these kind of roles. Yeah, um, I wish I had more to say about this one, man. But I just, I, uh, I really like this movie. Um, I like where it's, I like where it was going. I like where it went. Uh, what do you feel about the ending? You think, you think that really happened? I do not think it is real because. Even the stand-up comedy part where he's actually doing stand-up on the show, uh, I don't think even that's fully real. Uh, I think that's a very, like, here's how his perspective of it went, but when in reality he completely bombed. Like, no laughter, nothing from it. And... I think people laughed. I think, because if you don't know why he's there, if you don't know that he straight-up kidnapped the guy who's supposed to be there i think i don't think he bombed that night i think he really did sell because when you i I think he said i think he didn't bomb okay yeah it's hard to tell i don't think that either way even if he did go through with uh that set and it was successful i still don't think that uh he the ending is like true i think that's back to his psychosis in the very least because let's say that that actually happened i don't think he'd be famous for that he'd be you know labeled as a psycho and everything like that people wouldn't be booking him for comedy skits after that stranger things have happened we we i mean stranger things have happened true but at the same time it just it doesn't it falls more into his i dream of this more than this Mm -hmm. is actually what's happening yeah, I feel like you could look at it both ways. I feel I don't know if the ending is totally real. I think maybe for a split second he had fame, and then people said, "Yeah, but this guy's a whack job. We, we'll, we'll forget about him." And he stayed in like the the D list of celebrities forever. Yeah, you know, he got his chance to be the king for a night. Yeah, you know, that's right, right. That's what he wanted, and that's what he got. And I think he was hoping that it would kind of splurge into something else, and it. I don't think it did. I'd rather be a king for a night. Instead of a schmuck for a lifetime, is that is that what he said? Yeah, something like uh, I'd rather be a king for a night than be a schmuck for the rest of my life. I love that one moment he has with uh, his his queen, his so called queen, where he goes to the bar and the detectives with him, and he's like, he says, "Look, I'm on TV. See, I told you I was gonna make it." Uh, <laughs> uh, I was like, "Man, this guy is so sad." Like I, I, the whole film, I just kind of felt sorry for him. Like you know, and not to say in another world he probably would, he probably wouldn't succeed at comedy, but it, it's his mind that stops him. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least to me. Yeah, yeah. He overthinks. He values like his comedy way too highly. Instead of going through the normal chain, like he even explains it at the beginning of the movie, you know, most people would go through, you know, and do the small shows and work their way up and everything like that, but not me. I don't need to do that because I know my stuff's good. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think my stuff was the best. You know, you got to put me on your show because I'm going to be the biggest name in comedy soon and you want to be the person that brings that forward. 
And he really does think that he is one of the greatest comedians out there. And he doesn't want to work his way up. He wants to jump right to the top pedestal. Because he thinks that's where he belongs. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, straight up, uh, I don't know if I give it a five. Because I, I give, it a, give it a four. A, a, a strong four and a half. I give it a strong four and a half. Yeah, I think this is a four out of five. It's it's toning, it's pacing, and everything like that. It's good. I I love the movie. It's a four out of five. Hmm. Yeah, I'm glad, man. I'm glad I finally uh, I'm glad I finally got you to watch this, man. I'm always in, I'm always interested to see what people's response to this film is when they first watch it. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. I highly recommend anybody that enjoyed Joker fully watch this one. Because, as I said before, I'd seen, like, little scenes and clips from it, and I knew, like, the general premise of the movie, but I just never sat down and watched it. Mm. All right, you ready to move on? Yes, to a very much more depressing movie, uh, A Serious Man. <laughs> yeah, man, this movie, I remember the first time I saw this movie, and in this like like from the opening scene which we'll talk about in relation to the rest of the film like like to even to its final scene like this film really struck a chord with me like um i feel like the last time that happened at the time when i saw this movie was another cohen's film like no country for old men whereas like the moment it ended i just stood i just sat there with my mama in silence like yo what what was that and my mom you know my mom loves movies like me but you know she she mostly tends to like movies that kind of like not dumb it down but like there's mystery to it but the but the ending kind of describes kind of lays out the mystery you know like 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 you know it says okay all of this happened because of this like she likes inception because inception for the most part kind of explains everything as it goes it, it feels With like a film. complete story from beginning to end there's no kind of ambiguity right. at the end and you know she likes a little ambiguity, but she didn't like the ending of The Sopranos. Just to put that in perspective for you, um, so when she saw this movie, she was like, "That was, I mean, that was a good movie, but what what was that about?" You know, and 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 the same thing for her that left her perplexed made me, you know, fall in love with this movie. Um, yeah, man, I love this movie, dude. I uh, well, since it's your first time watching, I want you to break this down. I, I want you to. So this movie uh, follows. I'm trying to remember what the lead character's name is. Uh, I I can find it right here. Uh, Larry Gopnik. Larry, that's it. And so La- that's why I was thinking Larry earlier. I was, you know, thinking oh, this yeah, movie. Yeah, I got you. I got you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Larry is a person that follows the Jewish religion. And he is a school teacher that teaches physics and math. So the movie starts off. Let's actually skip the beginning of the movie. So it starts mm-hmm. off introducing. Yeah, we'll get to that later. yeah, it starts off introducing us to Larry and kind of telling us a little bit about his life. And you know, and all of a sudden, just everything starts going wrong at every single point. Uh, mm-hmm. If I recall correctly, the first thing is his wife wants a divorce because she's seeing somebody else. Uh, right, and everybody he talks to about it is like, oh, oh, it's him. Oh, well, that's, that's, a, that's a nice man to. Uh, yeah, to, uh, good to for her. For. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't feel sorry for him. Yeah, I always love that when he's like, yeah, she's leaving me for Cy. Was his name or Cy Abelman? Yep, Cy Abelman. Everybody's kind of like, oh, well, good for her. And he's like, she's getting a divorce with me. Yeah, but but he's a really nice person. You know, they deserve each other. If she were to leave you for anybody, it should be him. Right. And it it shows like where the dark comedy in this is coming from right off the bat. And from there, he ends up getting, uh, what is it, threatened by a student uh, to give his grades up by leaving bribery money. And I love when he goes to the parents of the student and they're just like, look, we're either going to sue you for defamation for claiming that our son is bribing you or you take the money and you give him a good grade. But if you don't give him a good grade and you keep the money, we're going to sue you for, you know, 
stealing or bribery or something like that. It's like right, right. There's no winning scenario for him. Catch other twenty two. Yeah. And for, what's, what's the one thing he keeps saying to him? Um, the father, the father of the son. He kept saying something to him. Uh, when they would discuss this, like um. Oh crap! Uh, I know what you're saying. Um. I forget what the line is. Basically, something along the lines of, you know, it, it is what it is, or but it, he was saying it more of a Cohen-esque way. Yeah, it, it's the same line that he keeps getting brought up in the entire movie. Uh, even when he's like teaching about uh, Schrodinger's cat and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, this is just the way it is, or something along those lines. Uh, but I, yeah. Because that line continually comes up in different conversations he's having with different people. <laughs> right, right. And it's kind of like the overall theme of this is just the way that things are. It's not, you know, anybody controlling it. It's not anything that can be done about it. It's just how things are. <laughs> Catch you got to deal with it. Right. And it- yeah, it's every scenario he gets put in just makes things worse and worse for him. Right. And I love it that everything just is a nice, like, slow downhill slope. And then all of a sudden, just the slope keeps getting steeper and steeper as the movie goes on. And he just continually is looking for answers. And then there's an uphill. And then a decision is made. Then all of a sudden, yeah, back down again. Yeah, it's it. it, It's a very, like, sad comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. where literally you're laughing at the absurdity of everything bad that's happening to this person. And it, it just continually gets worse and worse. Um, I think my favorite of all the like terrible things that happen is the new boyfriend for his wife ends up dying and he has to pay for the funeral. <laughs> oh, right. I remember that funeral scene. I remember yeah. it uh, in the speech the guy gave. Uh, where he called him a serious man. And, um, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, out of all the, like, happenstance that occurs in this movie, I still think that's the most hilarious one of, I want a divorce, my new husband died, you pay for the funeral. (laughs) You know, I I love the dream sequences in this film, and I love that um, Psy is, like, the main guy in his dreams telling him, listen, um, you need to focus, you need to stay on your path, and, but the main question the character has is, what is the path? I don't know what the path is. What, what, what am I staying focused for? You know, and I, I feel like with a film like this, how you look at it depends on how you are as a person. Like, whether you're optimistic with pessimistic sensibilities or you're pessimistic with optimistic sensibilities, I feel like I lean more towards the towards the the former. Um, you either look at life as something that you know, you know, it, it's something that's a gift that's given to you, and you make of it what you will, or you look at life like this is all a whole big. This is like a whole big bag of nothing, and nothing has purpose, and is is we just we're just here to be here. It all depends on what what you are as a character, mm-hmm. um, and the film doesn't give you the right answer. It just says this is what it is, you know, and I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and, um, there's a biblical story, uh, called the story of Job, which, you know, the Coen brothers, I think have said that this film is inspired by. And, um, you know, if you don't know the story of Job, I might paraphrase it badly, but basically Job is like, a you know, just basically like Larry, you know, po- uh, pre the divorce, you know, a, a, a good guy that has a family, he has wealth, he's, you know, God fearing man. Um, uh, the devil makes a wager with God saying, well, you know what, since your people, since you think your people follow you so blindly and they're so loyal to you, I bet you I can turn this guy to sin. If you, if, if, if you, if I take everything away from him, if I give him disease, kill off his family, he will no he, he will no longer be a follower of you. And God said, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. So then a wager is made and, um, Job just goes through. Everything terrible that Larry goes through, except 10 times worse. But in the end, uh, Job stays faithful. And then all of a sudden he's healed. He has a new wife, new family. The end. Um, I feel like Larry is definitely Job in this story. But he's Job if Job decides to go to the dark side, which leads to the ending. Right. Yeah, because 
he even like as a Jewish person, he goes to the rabbis of uh, you know. He goes to three rabbis. Yeah. And I love that each of the rabbis just has a different answer for him. Like the first one's like, "Well, you just need to change your perspective, man. You're you're gonna be fine. Don't worry about it." Uh, the second one's like, "Let me tell you about this dentist that found engravings on some teeth." And at the end, he's like, "So, so what does that have to do with anything?" And he's just like, "Ah, remember the dentist engravings." Yeah. You know. Wait, wait, wait. We, we we don't know. We don't yeah, know. We don't know. You know. Yeah. You know, in the in in the third rabbi's like um. I'm he, too busy thinking. Dude, I love the receptionist. He's like, he's busy. He's like, he didn't look busy. He's thinking. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, the best part is you can see, like, as the door opens, you can see him in the very back of the office and everything like that. And right. he's just kind of staring blankly at a piece of paper. And she goes up and he just kind of tilts his head. It doesn't even look like he says anything. And then he just looks back down and she comes back. He's busy. <laughs> But you know what? And here, here's the here's the mind fuck of this movie. None of the rabbis are actually wrong. They just give different solutions. Right. One, the first rabbi says, "Dude, just change your perspective." Like he says, "Look at the parking lot, man." It's oh, that's simple, right. <laughs> it's a simple, beautiful parking lot. Look at the parking lot. It's really change your perspective, or you can understand that life has coincidences. Things happen, and we just try to make the best of what we got. The third rabbi says. Hey man, I'm I I can't answer you right now because I'm thinking maybe Larry should think a little more. Maybe Larry should kind of come up with his own conclusions, but he's looking for everybody else to explain it to him. Right. This is a brilliant man who's a mathematician, but math is taught. You know what I mean? Math is 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 learned, but it's also taught. He wants someone to teach him the meaning of life. What does God want me to do? But what he learns is that that's not really a simple answer. Sometimes you got to find that answer yourself or be willing to take, take different answers and not just, not everything has one solid complete answer is what this film is trying to say. There's no simple answer to life. Right. It's all going to be based on your perspective. It's going to be based on, you know, not every message is going to have an answer. You just kind of got to go with the flow of things. Right. Which leads to, um, We'll get to the ending in a minute, but I really think we should talk about this opening prologue here. Okay. So, go ahead. Yeah, I I absolutely love how this scene plays out because it, uh, the basic synopsis of it is you're introduced to a man. I don't think he has a name or anything. They're just kind of introduce him he goes to this lady's house and uh she like offers him food so he sits down to eat and everything like that and then she goes you know you're not actually a person you're just a dead soul and just stabs him in the chest and leaves him wandering back out of the house dying and it's a symbol of a uh I can't remember if it's a Jewish belief or just a religious belief in general of a dead soul walking in the husk of a body. Mm. And it's kind of the idea throughout the entire movie that, you know, uh, some people are just literally dead souls walking in the husk of a body. You know, they're no longer alive. That's an interesting interpretation. Um, This prologue has been debated for years since this film came out some people say it has no connection to the rest of the film which is the point the film is really about a bunch of randomness as which is a lot of coen brothers films are about but not really some people say the prologue the dude may be an ancestor of larry's some people say i mean i just heard your interpretation which sounds like a like another um a new interpretation to me um I don't think Larry's a dead soul at all. I think he has his soul. He just doesn't know what to do with it. Um, yeah, this prologue, man, I feel like it just adds to the whole. Um, it adds to the whole theme of the movie is that, is that you know life. It really is dependent on how you how you perceive it. We don't know if the guy was really dead. We yeah. don't. We don't know what he was. We just know he just came into the house. Uh, homegirl said, "No, that guy is dead." And Stab. stabbed him. <laughs> get out there, get out of here. You know, um, maybe that started a curse with Larry's family. We we really just don't know. It's a scene the Cohen brothers put there. 
in a in with some films where you have scenes that have no connection to the rest of the film or whatever, like we're going to talk about The Room, where that happens a lot, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, it gets criticized. But with a movie like this, you know there is some... There's a reason for it, even if the reason isn't exactly something to do with the movie. Right. The reason is, and I, I think it's up to you what you think the reason is for. Like, it wasn't just put there... It was written in the script, and it was put in there for a reason. It wasn't to troll the audience. It was to say, hey, this is here. When you get done with the film, come back, and you you, you tell me what you think this means. Yeah, I do like the uh, theory that it just is there to show that not everything makes sense, because that right. is the, a general theme of the movie, you know? And it does feel like something the Coen brothers would do. <laughs> 100%. Exactly. I, um... I, uh, I, I, I love that prologue so much, and it leads to, um... Oh, Somebody to Love, uh, Jefferson Airplane. I love how that, that song, like, carries, like, a... like a thematic meaning throughout this whole film. You're yeah. familiar with that song, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Larry, of course, of course, of course, Larry needs somebody to love, but he needs he needs somebody to love him. You know, he has a son that's, you know, he's he's going through his little own issues and stuff. He's dealing with this bully that chases him for twenty dollars after school every day. Oh, yeah. Uh, He got a sister that's like in her room. He's he, he has a daughter that's in her room. Doesn't you know, just just typical teenager. Just don't really care about anything. Um, Larry needs somebody to love him, man. You know, find me somebody to love. Got no feel. I got no rhythm. I just keep losing my beat. Like the lyrics of this song fit so well with this film, dude. Yeah. With the general theme of everything, cause he's losing literally everything in his life, you know, cause he's also has his job at risk, not because of just the bribery thing, but apparently he's getting like, uh, the school's getting letters saying that they should let him go and not give him his tenure and everything like that. Right. So he's literally losing everything. He doesn't really have family anymore. He doesn't really have his job anymore. He doesn't even have his moral compass anymore when it comes to the bribery thing. And he literally doesn't know what kind of path to follow at any point in time because of all these circumstances coming to him all at once. And everything's just dumping on him all at the same time. Uh, It's it's great. It's it's a very dark comedy that does make you think. It's one of those movies I think I'm going to go back and I'm probably going to watch again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I love that, um, uh, man, you touched on something. Even his own brother, you know, you can tell something is a little wrong with his brother. You can tell his brother is very um, uh, disturbed. Oh, yeah. Get, yeah. Because he gets uh, arrested and then... Uh, solicitation of sodomy is what he got uh yep. got charged with and you know larry is basically what the title states he is a serious man he's a man that's trying to take life serious you know he's devout to his jewish faith but he's like but i'm, I'm serious about this what does it all mean what does life mean and you know and, and i think he gets his answers in different ways but he just doesn't know how to apply it and you could you could tell this film speaks to morality too um, very harshly, like the moment he changes that grade from an F to a C minus, bing. Hey, Larry, uh, you want to come into the doctor's office? I gotta, I gotta tell you about something serious with this chest X-ray. Oh and all yeah. All of a sudden, a tornado is coming towards his son's school. Does his son live? We don't know. The guy does end up opening the door. It's, it's you if you it's a blink it's a blink and you miss it kind of clip, but you do see in the background that he's legging kids into the door. But do those tornado shelters really work? I I, I don't know. You know, it's just the moment you change that grade, boom, epic decline. Yeah, it, it kind of just I, I like how it's almost like instantaneously like the F to C minus, and all of a sudden, yeah, we need to talk. And then it goes to the principal trying to, like, close the doors to the tornado shelter and everything. And it's just, obviously, we don't get an answer as to what comes next. What were the results? Were they good? Were they bad? Did they survive the tornado or did they not? But based on, like, the progress of the entire movie, we can only assume that it's it's bad. <laughs> mm, yeah. 
because he lost his moral compass. The one thing that was kind of holding him together and everything, he completely lost as well. He exactly. This is one of those films. Like, um, I remember I texted you, uh, before we did this episode, and I was like, "Hey, man, the trailer for Adam McKay's Vice, it just it just nails everything spot on." You know, like the way like it fits the whole just dynamic of Dick Cheney's reign as VP. Whereas when you see the trailer for a serious man where Jefferson Airplane, somebody love plays a very key element in that trailer, it hits everything spot on. And like the film kind of lives up to his trailer, whereas the guy that feels like he's being slammed against a chalkboard over and over and over trying to understand something like, like that that dream where Sai, you know slams him against the chalkboard that happens continuously in the trailer and it, it really like shows his mindset like i'm trying to understand this equation of life but life isn't a life isn't an easy equation right yeah there's yeah. there's a lot of great you know i guess subtleties and not so subtleties in this movie uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that it kind of preaches and everything like that, but it doesn't get overbearing with its message because it's still kind of all hidden under this veil of, you know, what does it all mean? Right. Now you, could, was this doctor still going to call him even if he didn't change the grade? Who, who knows? I mean, maybe positive thinking probably would have helped something. You know, positive thinking does help you in your life. I don't I, I mean, there's it does help you. Like, you know, of course, there's not proof, but positive thinking of things can kind of get you the motivation. The Psychologically, adrenaline. it can help you. It can. Especially it can. when it comes like coping through different like circumstances and everything like that. Right. And, you know, also uh, just letting life play out as it plays out, which, which is kind of what the second rabbi said. He says, you know, he had he had scripture on his teeth. But what are you, what, what you going to do? What does it mean? It could mean nothing. Just letting things play out the way it plays out is another option, too. When, you, when like, and, um, you know, we're not going to get political here, but with the election, a lot of people had anxiety over who was going to win. At the end of the day, you just have to accept that you're you're a part of you're you're playing you're living through history and you can't really determine who's going to win the election or not. All you can do is just sit back and say, well, I voted and that's all I can do. Yeah, I did my part. Now let's see if, you know, my party won or if my party lost. It's going to be decided by, you know, the majority. I can only control a small fraction. I did my part. Now it's waiting to see what the final result is. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, Yeah. I can definitely say I, I loved this movie. It has a lot of nice kind of little like subtleties about it while also keeping the entire movie kind of a mystery as a whole. Uh, it's got a lot of great comedy moments, you know, that you're not so much laughing at a joke. You're laughing at the circumstance, which I love. It's not like a one liner kind of movie. It's the movie is going through and you're just laughing at the fact that all this terrible stuff is happening. Like the way that the movie flows and how it just keeps getting worse and worse. And you're just like, there's nothing else that can happen. Oh, he now has to pay for the funeral of the, her new husband. And you're just like, Oh, this is, this is hilariously dark. I love the parallel storylines of Larry and his son. Like, you know, like his son, by all accounts, he he's a regular kid. You know, he's getting in trouble a little bit, but he's still a regular kid. You know, like he he's a little high during his bar mitzvah. You know, which is kind of funny because you know everything is like so serious and it, it, it's so slowed down. And he, it's hard for him to like focus on like what's real and what's not. But at the end of the day, he's a normal kid. Um, you got this kid who kind of has his life ahead of him, um, and. You don't know if he takes it's hard to see if he takes life as seriously as his father. He may not or if he might end up like his father. You don't know. But you see this man who's like in the I don't know, maybe spring, winter of his life trying to question what it all means. And you see this young son that's kind of like stepping into his own life, you know, also trying to see what everything means. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's definitely a good pair, you know, parallel going on there. Took me a minute to figure out the word. <laughs> right, I got you. 
And I, I even want to talk about the neighbor, um, uh, the neighbor who he uh, he sees, you know, naked sunbathing at one point, and, you know, um, he smokes weed with her. Um, even like even the subtleties of the racial tensions of the time comes out in this one scene where um, Clive, the uh, the son who tries to bribe him to change his grade, his father comes and, you know, tries to follow up with another request. Um, size neighbor. um the husband of the, of the wife um, who he smoked weed with comes out and says, is there a problem here? It showed that you could tell the neighbor didn't like uh, Larry because he, he's Jewish. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, tell he didn't, you could tell he didn't like him, but he, he really didn't like the Asian man. So he was willing to defend the Jewish man to go against the Asian man. That just showed like the racial patriotic times of that kind of like community in those days, like like subtle things like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of great kind of scenes like that in this movie. And those are some of the scenes I actually had seen like previously for this movie prior to actually sitting down and watching it all. Like him explaining Schrodinger's cat and everything. Um, the rabbi like dentist scene was one that I had seen previously. And so there were a couple like yeah. scenes I had like seen before. But uh, seeing it all together in this movie, it definitely all falls together perfectly. Yeah, man. Um, straight up five out of five for me, man. This is a film that, uh, you know, the first time I saw it and even like times I've seen it since has always like floored me. And, you know, like uh, Roger Ebert once said something about Fargo. This is the kind of cinema that makes you want to hug yourself because of how good it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you could witness such a good movie. Uh, what you think man it's your first time seeing it first I, all the way through I, I gotta say 5 out of 5 cause as soon as it ended I immediately went I gotta watch this again <laughs> and that's you always feel like you missed something right and it's any movie that I watch and it's not me going I just don't get it maybe I need to watch it again to see if I understand it uh, you know it, there's plenty of movies like that and those are not five out of five movies, but any movie that I finish watching and I go, oh, I definitely need to watch that again. That was fantastic. There's probably stuff that I missed. I love that. There's This is another good movie. Kind of the same way that I felt about uh, Kajillionaire. After I yeah. watched it, I was like, I got to watch this again. This, you know. <laughs> Have you seen it again since we last talked? I have actually watched it a second time, and it oh, is wow. just as good the second time for that one. And... Yeah, it's this one's a five out of five. A serious man just falls into that same category. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, it's a very, um, it's a very, it's a very good film. Uh, I, uh, I feel like the Coen brothers they, they always knock it out the park with their idiosyncratic uh, um, ways. And um, yeah, when you talk about men of desperation. Um, Larry and Gopnik, I mean, Larry doesn't have any mental problems like like Rupert in The King of Comedy, but these are both men who are desperate. Rupert is desperate to have his fantasies, um, you know, um, come true. Uh, Larry is desperate to understand life and what does it all mean. Mm-hmm. And their desperation leads them to dark paths. Yeah. Yeah. The Tonally, they have some similarities between the movies, but just there's a difference in how they overtake those kind of situations that they're put in, you know? Yeah. In King of Comedy, he basically puts himself into these situations. Uh, with a serious man, he's kind of thrown into these situations without knowing what to do. Right, I, I agree. Uh, um, all right, man, you watched anything since we last talked? Um, I've actually gotten back into watching the show superstore i don't know if you've ever heard of that one uh no i never heard of that one it's basically a comedy very close to like uh, parks and rec but it takes place inside of like a walmart-esque superstore and it's just hilarious like the employee interactions with each other and stuff like that because it follows all the employees of the store as they deal with like stupid customers and some of the employees are also you know not very bright at times and it's a great comedy i absolutely love it is that the one with america ferrera um 
Yes. It is? Yeah. Yeah, I, I never saw that one, but I heard it is funny. Yeah, it, it's, I highly recommend checking out a couple episodes of it. Uh, I It just started going on again, so uh, the last season I decided to check, and it was on Hulu, and I hadn't seen it yet, so I've been binging the previous season, getting ready to catch up to the current season. Okay, all right. I'll, um... All right, yeah, I uh, I'll take your word for it. I'll uh I'll, I might check it out one of these days. Yeah, uh, if you liked Parks and Rec, it's basically the same kind of theory, but it takes place inside of a retail store. So instead of getting like the stupid people that are trying to like do stuff with the park and everything like that, you get the mm-hmm. stupid people that like will grab a bag of chips, just start eating it, and then throw it over their shoulder in the middle of like a Walmart kind of <laughs> scenario. Like I'm done with this. <laughs> Oh wow! All right, man. I'll um, I'll check that out. I uh, I don't know. I haven't I haven't really seen anything since we last talked. Um, yeah, no. I was gonna uh, I was gonna watch the Lighthouse again. You ever have you seen that yet? Oh yeah, the one with um, uh, sparkly vampire guy and. Put some respect on his name, man. I can't remember his name right now. Robert That's... Pattinson has come a long Robert way Pattinson. from Twilight, man. <laughs> He's come a long way from Twilight, man. But yeah, yeah, I love that movie, especially the fact that it's like all in black and white, and the the idea of like what the themes of the movie actually mean. Like, there's so many theories on what the movie actually there's so many means. Layers in that film, man. Um, and me watching it again, I I haven't got the chance to like watch it all the way through for a second time because I've been busy. But um, yeah, I love that movie, man. I love the way um, uh, I think his name is Robert Eggers. The way he made that film, I I rewatched The Witch, which was his first film the other day, and uh, that's a well crafted horror film. I um, I liked it when I saw it in theaters, but I hadn't really thought about it too much since I since I saw it that first time. So I watched it a second time and said, "This is a, this is a well crafted film here." Yeah, I've have never seen, seen the, the Witch, uh, but it's, it's I can the movie. I'll have to check that one out. But yeah, I, I can one, definitely say that the the uh, lighthouse is like a beautiful masterpiece. <laughs> it is. It's a beautiful, crazy masterpiece. Um, I feel like I feel like one day we could, only if you're up for it. I mean, we could compare. Uh, have you seen Hereditary yet? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great movie. Um, are you a horror fan? Not really, but I'll check out like the major horror movies that everybody kind of recommends. Uh, just because everybody kind of goes, "Oh my god, you got to see this one." It's like, okay, I'll see it. But when it comes to horror in general, I don't like seek it out. I got you. Okay, because I was gonna say for fir- as far as first features go, Hereditary versus The Witch will be a good, be a good matchup. Um, some people like Hereditary better for more reasons. Some people like The Witch better for their reasons. You know that that's always been kind of a splitting hairs conversation. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I got. I'm gonna try to get through the lighthouse. I've I've just I've been mulling over whether I want to watch um that film where Josh Brolin plays George W. Bush. I think it's called W. I've oh been, yes, I've been mulling over whether I want to watch that again because I remember watching it when it first came out and I kind of just shrugged it off like, eh, that was okay. Uh, but I do like some films that Oliver Stone has made. Uh, when he gets political, he can kind of be touch and go to me. Yeah, I know uh, W is one of the movies I actually own on Blu-ray because it's one of the movies that uh, I grabbed from Blockbuster when they were closing. <laughs> I've never actually okay. watched it, but I do actually own that one. Oh, you haven't watched it? No, I haven't watched W. All right. Um, maybe we could have a topic where we talk about you know we we talk about two films, and we just we we both decide to just watch W and talk about that on the tail end. What do you think? We could do that. We could do that. So we 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 will have a we will have a double feature plus a bonus film. <laughs> double feature plus one. <laughs> double feature plus one. That sounds good. So uh, what what we what we got on topic for for next film? You looking at the uh, topic ideas? Um, let's see. Oh, I was actually kind of thinking maybe. Uh... 
Dr. Horrible sing-along blog versus Little Shop of Horrors? Which Little Shop? The original with, with Rick Moranis? Yeah, the original. Is that the original or is that a remake? Um, The one with Rick Moranis is the one that I was thinking. Because the okay. original was based on a play. Okay. All right, so Dr. Horrible versus Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, the remake with uh, Rick Moranis, because the other one was one from 1960 that's a black and white one. Okay, with uh, with W on the tail end. With W on the tail end. Okay, all right, sounds good. I'm down for it. And then that closes out another episode of the Double Features Podcast. All right, y'all. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Talk to you later. Bye.